Hey everyone, you're listening to On Their Behalf, formerly known as DNA, a true crime podcast. Please enjoy. Hey everybody and welcome back to DNA, a true crime podcast. I'm Devin the D. And I'm Asia the A. And we're here to talk about true crime. I want to say before we start a couple of housekeeping things. Asia and I are not physically together for the first time as we record this. We are FaceTiming and recording each track separately uh, because social distancing. We want to do our part and we want to make sure everybody stays as healthy as possible and we don't overrun the hospitals. And make sure neither one of us gets sick if we were exposed at all. So um, I hope everybody is staying safe and healthy and... If you are uh, sick, just stay home. Try to stay out of the stores Mm -hmm. as much as possible. And, um, you know, you can listen to our podcast. Yeah. You know, at home. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So if there is some difference in audio quality, that's why we are finding that new technical issues come up with every single episode. And it's a new and exciting world for both of us. So we thank you for your patience. Um, I also want to address why we are continuing with the podcast when it feels like there's a lot of content out there right now. There's a lot of coverage about, you know, something really awful that's going on in the world with this COVID-19 and coronavirus pandemic. Um, And, you know, Asia and I talked about whether or not like what putting out a true crime podcast would be helpful in this moment because we know it's very dark And we know that, you know, what's going on is very heavy on a lot of people's hearts right now. And we didn't want to contribute to that. Um, But then in talking about it, yeah, we, for me anyways, I realized that, like, this has been such a great um, thing for me to do to keep myself focusing on a bigger picture and not being so worried about stuff that I can't control, not that I can control any of the stories that we're talking about, but it's something that I feel like I'm raising awareness about something. I'm starting a dialogue. We're bringing our perspective to these true stories. Um, you know, the the stories that we talk about, their families are still affected, virus or not. And I mm-hmm. think it's something that it's, it's still okay for us to bear witness to. There's more than enough, yeah. you know hardship to go around but I also think that means there's more than enough compassion yeah so and bringing attention to these cases is always what we want to do regardless of what's going on in the world Mm -hmm. and for me it just it was more about like the way that I cope with things that in my life that go on um personally that I have no control over um, somehow I find comfort in in hearing these stories and and kind of taking that energy and putting it into something else. So mm-hmm. when we discussed potentially just not recording at all, um, you know, it, it made me, you know, we had that discussion, but we, we were more of like, what, what does this do for us and do for the, the people of the stories that we tell? And mm-hmm. um, not that we want their pain or tragedy to be a distraction from our pain and tragedy but it in in a sense it it does and you know we are all kind of going through it together so you know why not also you know be a part of telling these stories and and being involved in these stories together as well And we also reserve the right to change our mind at any point. So Exactly. So <laughs> if this gets worse, I mean, we all know it's going to get worse before it gets better. Mm-hmm. Um, for right now, we are going to do it this way as long as technology is on our side. Seriously. Uh, we will um, continue to record remotely and we're going to be staying home and self-quarantining and all of that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But if at one point this becomes not the the right thing or the way the way we want to go about it we will um postpone or let you guys know um Mm -hmm. but for now this is how we will be recording and putting out episodes yes all right so all that being said this week it's my turn to lead the stories um and i we've been talking about you know 
maybe stories that haven't gotten as much press because of, you know, the victim's race or sexuality or things that have caused sort of like misinformed, you know, ideas in society. And continuing with that thread and talking about cases that aren't treated as fairly, I wanted to talk about um, violence against Native women in this country. It's The statistics are horrifying because women in the indigenous community are 10 times more likely to face violence and murder than women in the rest of the country. And I'll get into like why that is. It's a very complex issue. And I had heard this said, and I started looking for a case to sort of talk about why this was. And even a lot of the articles I read like never really went into why exactly that was. So that was also really interesting where it, it was like even there, even though there are articles talking about that this is the case, there's not there's not a lot of talking about why. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, this is such a huge problem in the U.S. and in Canada um, that I just I really wanted to dive in and sort of like understand what was happening and if there's anything that we could do to stop this like ongoing problem Mm -hmm. today i want to tell you the story of savannah lafontaine graywind August of 2017, Savannah LaFontaine Graywind was 22. She lived in Fargo, North Dakota, and she was of proud Spirit Lake Dakota and Turtle Mountain Chippewa heritage. And she was eight months pregnant. Oh, wow. Her her Dakota name was Where Thunder Finds Her. Oh, that's so beautiful. I know. Isn't that gorgeous? I love that they're like their names. I know. It's so beautiful. Um, yeah, very strong Mm -hmm. naming culture, and I love it. Uh, Savannah lived with her parents, Norberta LaFontaine Greywind and Joe Greywind, and was in a loving relationship with her baby daddy, Ashton Matheny. She studied at Kent. This is a lot of, um, native words, so I'm not sure if I'm going to get them right. And also, I'm sure that I'm going to say things wrong, like, using native versus indigenous versus Indian versus first peoples. Um, yeah. There's a lot of different references in a lot of the articles I read. So I'm pre-begging forgiveness at my mistakes. Um, but Savannah studied at the Kankdeska Sikana Community College and became a certified nurse assistant. She worked at several facilities, including Eventide Senior Living Communities, Heartland Care Center, and Eventide and Cheyenne Crossings Transitional Care. Earlier that year, in 2017, she had enrolled at, enrolled at North Dakota State University. So she was like a hard worker, moving and shaking. She had like four jobs, just killing it, and she was pregnant. So did I miss you just, saying a year? What year is this? This is 2017. 2017, okay. Yeah. So Savannah was very social. She loved riding horses. She was always texting and posting on social media because she's, she's 22, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the day that she didn't text her mom back, Norberta knew that something was wrong. On August 19th, 2017, Savannah was last seen at the apartment she shared with her parents around 1.30 p.m. A pizza had just been delivered when her neighbor, Brooke Cruz, knocked on the door. Brooke was attempting to sew a dress, but she didn't have a mannequin, and pinning it was all tricky. So even with Savannah's baby belly, she was about Brooke's size. So Brooke offered her $20 to come model the dress so she could pin it. Savannah agreed and texted her mom and brother to say that she was going to go upstairs. Mm -hmm. Later that afternoon, when Savannah still hadn't returned to take her brother to work, 
Uh, her brother went upstairs and knocked on the apartment door. Uh, Brooke Cruz answered. Oh, sorry. Her brother went up, knocked on the door, and nobody answered. Uh-huh. And then he went back downstairs, and Savannah's dad, Joe, went upstairs, knocked again, and then Brooke answered, saying that they weren't quite done yet. He didn't see so her? So I am... He didn't see Savannah? No, okay. he didn't go in. Brooke just opened the door and was like, oh, we're not done. Like, we'll, I'll send her down. Okay. Um, so I imagine that her brother just kind of like went up and knocked and nobody answered. And then <laughs> when the dad went upstairs, probably pounded. Yeah. Like, you know, so she had to answer. Um, but when Savannah still wasn't home a few hours later, her mom panicked. She said, quote, I immediately knew something was wrong because her car was here. She's eight months pregnant. Her feet are swollen. So she wouldn't have taken up walking like that. There's a pizza down here that she didn't eat, and she would not just leave that lady's apartment and go somewhere, end quote. And I really identified with not leaving a pizza. Yeah, I was going to, that's the first thing I was thinking. Like, yeah, <laughs> if I ordered a pizza and I was eight months pregnant, absolutely no way. not would I leave that alone. So <laughs> No way. Um, so Norberta called Savannah's boyfriend, Ashton, who he also hadn't heard from her. And she says, that's when I started to freak out, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Wow. And at 4 p.m. August 19th, the family contacted the Fargo Police Department. So shout out to this family because it took them only three and a half hours or two and a half hours to contact the police. Mm -hmm. They knew something was wrong. They were like going, going for it. And the police responded. Oh, okay. Um, The police took it seriously from the get-go, which is (laughs) as we know very rare um so the police conducted three searches of brooke cruz's apartment where she was living with her boyfriend william hone i think that's how you say it it's spelled h-o-e-h-n i don't know yeah but the police didn't find anything okay uh very weird so he didn't live so then she lived with her parents and he had his own apartment uh Ashton Matheny did not live with Savannah and her parents. Ashton is Savannah's baby daddy and boyfriend. Uh-huh. Brooke Cruz, who was the upstairs neighbor, lived with her boyfriend, William Holmes. Oh, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I, I, no, it's all right. Um, but so the police searched th- the apartments three times, three separate occasions, and didn't find anything. So... It's a Fargo is a very close knit community, especially with the indigenous population that lives there, because uh, you know, indigenous people that aren't on the reservation but are in urban settings, uh, you find each other, you have a community, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so rumors started picking up around town that started to gain traction. I actually found a People magazine article that published a list of like rumors. About it. So, like, the rumor mill played a big part in this case, mm-hmm. which I found very interesting. Because um, it's more than just, like, tips. It's just, like, literal theories. Yeah. Like, theories like I have about who killed John Bonet, you know? Yeah. Um, so, one of the rumors was that there was a convicted sex offender that lived in the building. And that she, because the sex offender was a woman. Ooh. Uh, that is Savannah. Not right. A, not common. Well, it's not as com- wow. Not as common. I don't know what the details of that were or anything, but like yeah. very weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the rumors was that that person, that woman, took Savannah, and so an actual real life reporter went to go talk to that woman, and he went to the uh, the building and was like looking up where this sex offender lived. And he was, like, going upstairs, and he heard from a different apartment, not the one that he was going to, this, like, loud, like, industrial vacuum noise. Mm. Like, you know, like, the things that they, like, uh, clean the airport floor with? Oh, yeah. Those, big Zamboni kind of thing. Like, that kind of sound that is, like, there's no way that that needs to be in an apartment building. So he, like, banged on that door and was like, what's going on? And the woman that opened the door, like, wouldn't say... Wouldn't tell him anything, wouldn't even tell him her name. Um, and he didn't realize, like, once once they realized that, like, the sex offender thing was a no-go and that was just a stupid rumor, he put the pieces together that the person 
with that like loud noise coming from their apartment was Brooke Cruz. <gasps> oh God. Ugh. So, meanwhile, the police were investigating Cruz, and they even though they had searched the apartment and hadn't found anything, they were still like something's not right. Like. That's literally the last place Savannah went, and people know that to be true. Mm. So, like, we're not going to, like, quite give up on this lead just yet, just because we can't see anything. Yeah. Um, and then they were – so they were interviewing her coworkers. I don't know where she worked, but they were interviewing Brooke Cruz's coworkers, and the coworkers were like, yeah, it's kind of weird because she just started saying that she has a new baby. <gasps> no, I thought about that. I was like, oh my gosh, is this like a, like mm-hmm. just wanted the baby kind of deal? Oh my God. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but in the past three searches of Brooke's apartment, they hadn't found any evidence of a baby. Not the, none that she was like pregnant, none mm-hmm. that she was like preparing to adopt. There was nothing. And like, uh, you know, sometimes if, when you're adopt, you, adopting, you can, like, find out, like, in a second. Yeah. that, And you don't really have a lot of time to prepare. But there's usually still, like, if you're in the process, yeah, you, like, would you mention might that. have something. Yeah, and you would mention, like, yeah. if all of a sudden your coworkers were, like, you, like, if you were talking about you were, you know, adopting, that's a very stressful and time-consuming yeah. thing. Like, you would n- not mention that totally. and then be like, oh, now I have this baby. That's yeah, weird. and they weren't like probably the best, uh, you know, strongest candidates for adoption. Let's just say. Okay. So, yeah. you know, and um, uh, Brooke Cruz is, was she um, an indigenous woman as well, or no? She's a whitey white or something. Okay, white lady. Got this it. This is a white couple. All right. Um, <laughs> and as a whitey whiter myself, I can say. <laughs> um. <laughs> anyways um so but that information that tidbit from her co-workers was enough to get them another search warrant okay yeah. so this time there was no like they didn't have to give them warning or anything they just showed up and what do they find a healthy newborn oh baby God. girl and this baby is obviously a, a baby of color well when baby's a baby it's like true yeah baby. yeah true they, they don't soon to say they don't move into and their savannah color. herself had like green eyes and fair skin okay. so yeah. you know what is this brook girl saying ha- like happened well i'll okay. get there hunt sorry i'm getting ahead of myself it's okay <laughs> um so the police like immediately arrest brooke cruz and will and william hone and take the baby they did a dna test mm-hmm. name check right there um <laughs> and <laughs> and they confirmed that the baby was Savannah's. So now they have found the baby and no sign of Savannah anywhere. So Savannah's family Oh my god, describe my face right now. I'm in shock. Yes, I can't actually see the bottom half of your face because I think your jaw dropped to the floor. Yes. What? <laughs> they find out that this is her baby, but Savannah's mm-hmm. nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. So they start searching like the general wooded areas, Savannah's family. They searched Trollwood Park on August 25th after her grandfather had a dream her body would be found near water. And then another woman, I couldn't find the identity of this woman, but she posted on Facebook that she used tarot cards, which also said Savannah's body would be found near a body of water. Hmm. So then on August 27th, eight days after Savannah goes missing, kayakers find her body in the Red River in Fargo. Her remains had been wrapped in plastic and duct tape. Oh my god. So I'm gonna talk about the Red River for a second. Okay. So it basically runs through like Minnesota, Fargo, like and makes the um border and then runs up into Canada and continues. Okay. So it's a really long river right through all these tribal lands that have now been stolen and, you know, reappropriated, however, you know, long ago. Yeah. Um So uh, a study conducted by the Sovereign Bodies Institute, which researches violence against indigenous indigenous people, say that over the course of decades, 134 bodies have been found in the Red River. (gasps) What? Yes. 
And then in 2014, another young woman named Tina Fontaine was found in the Red River, um, which I thought was interesting because Tina Fontaine mm-hmm. and Savannah's last name is La Fontaine Greywind. And there was a lot of like repetition of the name Fontaine. So if you know anything about that, why that would be a common name, let us know. I was curious about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so after they found Tina's body in the Red River in 2014, this group started um, of community members that just would volunteer and drag the river themselves, not waiting for police officers, not waiting for anybody else. And in 2014 alone, these volunteers found seven bodies. Oh, my God. So it's just a, a dumping ground. true dumping ground. Yeah. And, like, I don't know why it's called the Rev- River. I don't know if that was before after or after this. this yeah. But, like, holy shit. Yeah. So that's where Savannah was found, too. And this is how um, many days after she went missing? Eight days. So after his arrest, William Hone starts talking. Mm. And like up to this point in the story, we haven't really heard that much from him. Yeah. But he was arrested too. So he says that his side of the story is he says that on August 19th, he came home from work and found Brooke Cruz cleaning up blood in their apartment. And she proudly showed him the newborn and said, this is our baby. This is our family. What in the world? And yeah. he didn't find this a little disturbing? I don't know. I there is something wrong with them two. So holy uh, shit! I don't just the fucking creepiest shit <sighs> you can imagine. And like to your so, neighbor, like you don't think that people are gonna find it odd that you just honestly, randomly found this child? So fucking stupid. Honestly, it gets worse. Ugh. So. Cruz, so this is what Hone is saying, where he's like, I didn't do anything. I just came home and, uh, oh, yeah. and then I had a baby that I had to take care of. What am I supposed to do? And then <laughs> call the Brooke police. Cruz, I know. Brooke Cruz is telling the police that what happened was that she taught Savannah how to break her own water and induce labor. And that Savannah delivered the baby and gave her to Cruz. And just threw herself in the Red River? At this point, they hadn't found the body. Oh, when they're interviewing her? Yeah. Okay. But either way, like, so this is just like... But what the fuck? Yeah. Oh, she decided that she wanted to break her own water and give me her child. And then on Let the way... Let me give my baby to a white lady. Yeah. No. And then on the way, I wrapped... She wrapped herself in plastic and duct tape and threw herself on yeah. the river. Okay. Get a fucking grip. Just insanity. So it wasn't until later after they found the body and learning that Hone was like saying that he didn't have anything to do with mm-hmm. it. It was all Brooke. Then she changed her story. Of course, because she didn't have the support. So, right. So let's back it up a few months. In early 2017, Brooke Cruz was desperate. Her boyfriend, William Hone, was abusive and she needed a way to fix the relationship. So she does what any smart lady does. She tells him she's pregnant when she's not. You know? Oh, okay. As we all do. Yeah. No. To to keep an abusive man. I mean, hey you're like Listen, being in that situation you you right. do crazy things that don't right. really make sense no and i mean not that i justify what she did after this but you know right that situation well, is not easy to uh, right you know. abusers are created not born mm-hmm. so yeah uh obviously he found out she was lying and he gave her an ultimatum produce a baby or pay the price and that was the phrasing that kept propping up is produce a baby. Like abracadabra, a human infant. Okay. Can, can I, I need, I need some yeah. clarification. Yep. So. I don't know if I have it, but I'll try. Okay. So <laughs> she, is he incapable of having children? She's a little bit older. So he, she was like 37, 38. Uh-huh. He was uh 28 or 30 or something like that he was upset because he had already told people that she was pregnant so now they're on a clock and i think he wasn't really i mean my my theory is that he wasn't really looking for a baby he was looking to save face and for a reason to justify his abusiveness towards her by like oh i beat my girlfriend because she's pregnant 
No, no, no. By her, him, when she, when he found out she wasn't pregnant, and he's like, "I already told my parents. I already told my coworkers. Okay. All this shit. So like, you better fix this, mm. or else I'm coming after you." Well, he's gonna come after her either way because he's an abuser and he's a piece of shit. Yeah. So this way he can be like, "This really is your fault." Like, it doesn't make logical sense. No. Okay. But I, I think that that's what mm-hmm. he was doing. I don't actually think, like. I think he would probably be embarrassed if he hadn't had a baby, but like, ultimately, like yeah, like I, I think I'm thing sure there are drugs involved. Like yeah, 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 I'm sure. Not thinking clearly either. The thing them. that like just I'm not. I think the thing that I always do in these situations is I think about it in a rational way because I'm no, a rational human being. So yeah. when I'm like, well, if she said she was pregnant and then found out that she wasn't pregnant. And yes, she lied. Fine. Like, he's pissed that she lied. But mm-hmm. the fact that you're like, oh, you need to make this right rather than being like, I'm just with someone who lied to me and she wasn't really pregnant. Like, that's the rational thing to do. And yeah. get out of the relationship. Or if you really want a child with this person, keep trying to have Try a kid. Again. Like, don't yeah. steal someone else's baby. No. But like, how many... Like, how many people do you know that, like, thrive off, like, the volatile, like, unpredictability of a relationship? Yeah. So this is just, this is one that's manifesting in a really horrible way. But I do think that if you're in the situation, like, talking about abuse, talking about gaslighting and psychological, you know, torture and everything, like, you're not thinking the way you and I are thinking, that we both have healthy, stable relationships and come from healthy, stable homes. Yeah. True. You know, our reality is not the, these people's reality. Yeah. I'm not saying it's okay. It's not okay. Don't do that. No, it's not. But I, <laughs> yeah, like, I think but that. But, like, our brain is never going to understand mm-hmm. their brain. So. Wow. Um, But, so, Cruz goes on and says a, that he, Hone told her their gray wind girl is pregnant. And that she That the boyfriend that to told mean, him, her that? Yes. <gasps> she took that to mean that he wanted her to kill Savannah and take the baby. <laughs> Which... I'm sorry, that was not a great reaction, but... No, because I, I, this is why I'm like, there has to be, like, meth involved or something, because... <sighs> what? So, because if I were saying... Ugh, I can't even be like, if I were doing this, because there's no world in which yeah. this... But why would she... Like, sense. the thing is, like, why would you think that that's what he wanted he wants so so i mean i i I understand how he is able to kind of put up this wall of i had no idea all i did was tell her that this girl was pregnant and then she went off and did this horrible horrific thing right and it's and it is a sort of like convincing argument because the things the things that cruz is saying that he told her is like he doesn't explicitly say it he's very Mm -hmm. He just, like, kind of throws things out there. But it's, like, you and I both read into text messages and all that stuff. And it's, like, yeah. you know, I'm sure that he is smarter than we want to think he is. Yeah. Because he's he was careful. So, <laughs> because Cruz has this in her head now, she makes multiple attempts to lure Savannah upstairs. Uh even one time her attempt was asking Savannah if she wanted to come up and smoke weed with her. Hmm. And I'm like, okay, you're going to ask a fucking pregnant chick to climb <laughs> four flights of stairs to smoke a doobie with you. I mean, like no, first of all, no, thank you. Climbing four step, four flights of steps is something that I won't even do. And I'm not eight months pregnant. So <laughs> like, absolutely not. Just so strange. But then I was like thinking about it and I was like, like, we just moved into this new building. We we met a couple neighbors. It's like sort of friendly, but mm-hmm. not necessarily like we're like hanging out or whatever. But if I had a neighbor that came over and was like, hey, I live over here. Like, can you come help me with something? Or like, I saw you were home and I just need an extra set of hand. I would be like, oh, sure. Yeah. Yep. Like, not even think twice about mm-hmm. it. I mean, now I would. Yeah, now I'd be like, absolutely not. Well, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it would depend. But, like, but. There, was like, there was, like, a whole parking issue that we had. And my two neighbors came over. And I was like, oh, come on in. Sit down. And I was home alone. Mm. And this was, like, two weeks ago. Yeah. 
So I never fucking learned. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's situational. They, they didn't do anything bad. They're lovely people. Yeah. But. It's all situational, though, because you when right. you feel like my my thing is like I'm just assuming that everyone is like me and if I was you know needing help or if I you know invited somebody into my house I would I let's just assume that they are going to be just as polite and courteous and respectful of me as I would be of them Mm -hmm. and that's just not the case (laughs) ever really but the other thing right the other thing is that brooke cruz is a woman coming to another woman another woman asking for like a very feminine favor yeah and in like sewing a dress that's and that's the thing like when you even said that there was a woman in the building that was a sex offender that is just not Mm -hmm. common and usually like i forget what case it is i mean i'm i'm terrible with names you know this um but there's a case of like the uh the couple that were picking up um i think it was they were just like picking up hitchhikers kind of thing so mm. people like anybody that they would pick up they would see a woman and they'd be like yeah, yeah. oh okay i'm safe because there's no way another woman would right hurt me because that that's not something that she would want but that was their thing like they knew that people would be more comfortable getting in the car with them if there was a woman involved and that's Mm -hmm. our mistake is that we just assume that because women are quote-unquote victims at all times that they're going to be they're going to make sure that women are other women are never a victim and that's just like not not true not true not always sometimes like the majority of the time it is but not always right so yeah so once Cruz finally got Savannah up to the apartment uh according to Cruz she pushed Savannah and Savannah hit her head on the bathroom sink and was knocked unconscious Mm. Uh, however, the medical examiner said that Savannah's body had no evidence of a head injury. Huh. So I don't know what the truth was, but they did find Savannah's body eight days after. So I'm not sure like what the, what that could have done to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was interesting because this is like Brooke Cruz coming clean and it's like why would you still lie if you're just coming clean but whatever yeah i mean Um, maybe it's just like it didn't really go down like that maybe there was more of a fight or a struggle or she yeah but to be honest if she i mean i'm sure you're gonna get into it this but to be honest if she gave birth to the child or she was however i'll stop you right there. yeah i was like she had to be alive during that so listen okay so Savannah's unconscious. I'm going to say, actually, like, skip forward 15 to 30 seconds if you're squeamish. This is really, really bad. Okay. Well, I'm not going um, to because I have to. But. No, you can't. You have to sit, you have to sit with me. Okay. Um, well, Savannah's unconscious. Cruz grabbed a box cutter. Oh, God. And cut open Savannah's abdomen and pulled the baby from her. And during this time, Savannah reportedly drifted in and out of consciousness. Oh, my God. I know. I know. Oh, my God. That, that. Like, holy shit. Um, wow. Um, I've, I've seen a cesarean done. Mm-mm. And that shit's hard. Mm-hmm. There is, n- like, that takes a lot, a lot to do that with a box cutter. There are so Holy many shit. layers that you have to get through, but then you also have to have a gentle hand because there's a baby. Yeah. And if you... I just... N- oh, God. Huh. Wow. She's lucky. She's lucky she didn't kill the baby, too. Because yeah. it's so, so easy to so fucking easy. make a mistake like that. Oh, my God. Right. So this is the point. And eight months pregnant, home, that means this baby's a, a little early. Yeah, so e- small. premature as well. Oh, my God. 
I don't know if oh no, I guess four not four weeks premature. I guess not he's technically just... premature. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I don't. I don't know what the words yeah. are. Um, not full term necessarily, yeah. but um, so this is the point when Hone comes home from work. Okay. So he reportedly said he came home to find Brooke Cruz cleaning up blood with a baby, and now the real story is he came home and Savannah's still there, and he asks if she's alive. Because she's kind of like, it's unclear. Yeah. Cruz says she doesn't know. So this is according to Cruz. Okay. Hone never never says that he did this. Um, Hone, according to Cruz, Hone wrapped a rope around Savannah's neck and strangled her. And afterwards, he said, "quote If she wasn't dead before, she is now." Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, you. So the medical selfish son of a bitch. Oh my I god. Know. Yeah. The medical examiner was not able to determine a cause of death, whether it was blood loss or strangulation. So we don't actually know if mm-hmm. Savannah survived the, um, the, I don't even know what to call it, the attack. Yeah. Um, so if you remember, the police searched their apartment three times yeah. starting that afternoon. So how did they manage to hide Savannah and the baby? Yeah, um, yeah. During the first two searches, they had just stuffed Savannah's body into the bathroom closet. And the baby, because it was like a newborn, just was like under a pile of blankets. Oh, my God. And it didn't cry. Didn't She didn't cry. Didn't do anything. It was a girl? A girl. And, like, I guess, like, why would you lift like a pile of blankets like i don't know so like not thorough searches they just like glanced around and were like nothing is here they didn't open the bathroom closet yeah i wonder you know did they have a because i mean i'm only i know only some of this stuff based on like watching you know documentaries and law and order to be honest Mm -hmm. but like if they had a search warrant the search warrant might not have covered that they didn't have a search warrant for the first three they were just doing a routine check like checks because that's the last place that they looked Mm -hmm. because when they did have the warrant they found the baby yeah i think that maybe like those routine checks are only for like stuff that are something is yeah like obviously if they came across blood on the floor that would give them right reasonable like then then they can go okay well you need a search warrant for this place because there's there's blood but if they didn't see any like if nothing was visibly like in front of them without touching or moving anything i think that's where they're like okay we 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 can't do anything open a closet you know i don't know that's the thing that I'm I'm just like, what? Yeah. So the next day after they do the searches, um, or that was the, f- so the first two mm-hmm. were that, that day. So they came back. Well, I would, I'd come back too, because that's so like uh, this girl. But you come back and you still don't open the closet. It's <laughs> true. Like, it just like, you go, this is and where she was find last the baby? seen. She... I wonder if they gave the baby like Benadryl or something. They probably did. Sleepy. Yeah. Um, so the next day, Hone hollowed out the inside of a dresser and wrapped Savannah's body in plastic and put the body like in the fake dresser. Mm-hmm. Uh, so during the third search, Savannah was then in the dresser. Ugh. And then on the morning of August 21st, two days after Savannah's disappearance, Hone and Cruz moved the dresser, loading it into their Jeep. Hone, the way he hollowed it out was like he took out the drawers mm-hmm. and then like cut off the backs of the drawers and then... Um, Just put the like, drawer faces put back on. Put the drawer on. face back on. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I was... I was like why does one hollow out a dresser isn't a dresser hollow so (laughs) yeah i had to look that up um so they drove it uh they loaded up the jeep with the dresser and the body and they dumped the dresser into the red river okay um the testimony about how they moved savannah's body comes from brian grob who was hone's cellmate during the trial Mm -hmm. 
Uh, he said that Hone detailed how he moved the body, but still said that he didn't help kill her. So that thing about strangling her, he's saying that Brooke Cruz did that. Okay. Um, but so so Grob is the one that testified to like moving the body, and that Hone was uh, involved in that. Okay. Um, and then at one point, Grob, you know, you're talking to your cellmate. Grob was mentioning that he, like, he was talking about his past and he was struggling with the fact that an ex-girlfriend of his had had an abortion. And Hone's response was that he would have just cut the baby out of the bitch. Ugh. So, fuck you. Yeah. In every which way. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. What, in what world do you think that you are capable of being a father if that is the way you think? Because it's narcissistic. It's not about thinking of a baby as a human being. It's thinking about a baby as an accomplishment of your own and a reflection Ugh. of yourself. It's so sickening. So... Brooke Cruz was sentenced to life without possibility of parole. Good. William Holm was originally sentenced to life, but his sentence was overturned because, like, with the charges that he had, a life sentence was beyond the scope of what the punishment could be. So the judge, like, technically was too harsh and ignored the legal limits of sentencing because... Yes. No, no. You should do that. No, no. You no. were not too harsh. You were... The law said, literally, I'm, I'm so with the judges. I'm so on board with the judge's initial yeah. thing. But like, they're, they're, this is the, the theme of this is like how much legal hand tying there is and why this shit happens. So the judge had to overturn mm. the sentence and was like really fucking mad oh, when, they, yeah. when they had to do that. So, guess what? What? Instead of a life sentence, William Hone has to serve 20 years, two of which he's already served. So that means that the baby that he and Brooke Cruz cut out of her mother will be graduating from high school when he gets out. Oh my gosh. Can you fathom that? Can you even begin to process that? That is horrible. Like how? That is. I just. I. I can't believe that. Like, like what a what a fucking failure of the system. Yeah. Because you have him. You have this guy. So and you know, was it because he's technically not being convicted of murder? Because there's no way to. Okay. So the maximum I, I sentence for yeah. what obvious it's probably like wrongful disposal of a body or yeah, some bullshit like human that. Human remains and then like accomplice. Yeah. Something. So she yeah. got life because she because she did the act, mm-hmm. which is why he was maintaining that he didn't strangle. Yeah. Her. Which I feel like is bullshit. Like and there's that no way that he idea. wasn't involved in this entire thing. I mean, like this. Listen. This feels like a story that was concocted. And she was so, like, I want, she's a victim in a way, too. Like, I feel like she might have been very much influenced and brainwashed by this psychotic man that, of course, she's going to continue to believe this because she doesn't have a choice. Yes. And the fact that he came home to find this and did not immediately call the police, I'm sorry, you're guilty. Yeah. You're a part of it. You are not not involved in this. Yeah. (sighs) Okay. So... Well, and I want to get into. Can I just ask one more question? Where yes. is this? So she went to the to the parents. The baby, the baby went to uh, her dad. Her, her mom. Okay, her dad from. Yeah. Okay, good. Ashton is his name. Ashton. Yeah. Um. So, I want to talk about the implications of this case. So, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, Savannah was a native woman murdered by white people. Yeah. Uh. In. Fargo, North Dakota, which is not on a reservation, uh, and but in a very native uh, town. Um, so, and 
her case is an outlier, A, because of like the horrific specificity of it, and B, because it's solved and people were brought to justice for it. So um, most thousands of cases go unsolved and unprosecuted. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said before, indigenous women are 10 times more likely to be murdered than women in the rest of the country. Um, and a big, a huge part of that is the way law enforcement and the judicial system is set up on Native American lands. Uh, there are strict rules about what falls under what jurisdiction that cause big gaps in a lot of the bureau- bureaucratic red tape. Uh-huh. Um, so... There's an article published in The Atlantic by Sierra Crane Murdoch in 2013, four years before Savannah's death, called uh, On Indian Land, Criminals Can Get Away with Almost Anything. And here's a quote that explains sort of the way the system is set up. In 1978, the Supreme Court Court case Oliphant versus... Oof. Oliphant versus Suquamish stripped tribes of the right to arrest and prosecute non-Indians who commit crimes on Indian land. If both victim and perpetrator are non-Indian, a county or state officer must make the arrest. Must make the arrest. If the perpetrator is non-Indian and the victim an enrolled member, only a federally certified agent has that right. What? If the opposite is true, so if the perpetrator is an Indian and the victim a non-Indian, a tribal officer can make the arrest, but the case still goes to federal court. Even if both parties are tribal members, a U.S. attorney often assumes the case since tribal courts lack the authority to sentence defendants to more than three years in prison. The harshest enforcement tool a tribal officer can legally wield over a non-Indian is a traffic ticket. (laughs) The result has been a jurisdictional tangle that often makes prosecuting crimes committed in Indian country prohibitively difficult. In 2011, the U.S. Justice Department did not prosecute 65% of rape cases reported on reservations. According to the department records, one in three Native American women are raped in their lifetimes, two and a half times the likelihood for an average American woman. And in 86% of these cases, the assailant is non-Indian. Oh. I have chills. My God. And you know that when this bill was passed in 1978, it was couched as protection for Native people so that they couldn't be held like... They could be tried by their peers and it could all be all hunky-dory and everything. But what it really is doing is oppressing them so much more and putting them at the absolute mercy of white court systems. That is disgusting. Isn't that insane? So on the scene, making the arrest, you have to have a fucking federal agent. Are you (laughs) shitting me? Wow. So, so... Also in that article, they go on to say that this infrastructure often leads, leads police on the res to just es- escorting drunk drivers home yeah. rather than contacting the right people, waiting for people to take, you know, the long drive out to the scene, booking, giving a statement. And by the time the person is sober and you can't pin anything on them. So it's just easier to make sure nobody gets hurt and just like bring them home. Yeah. Oh, my God. So the other thing that amplified this was the oil boom. Okay. And including Dakota Access Pipeline, which is the thing that's happening right now. Um, All of these disenfranchised workers, usually white or Latino, you know, Mm -hmm. coming in, not native is my point, um, coming in to work on these oil fields with, uh, like, and then there becomes a housing crisis. So they set up what are referred to as man camps. Mm. And... The man camps, they're not actually associated with any of, like, the big companies. Uh-huh. But usually it's, like, you know, one company's people live here, one lives here. And it's basically, like, an impromptu trailer park, usually around a lake or something, yeah. where, like, people bring their RVs or whatever, and you just, like, set up camp, and that's where you live for years on end. And because of that, you don't have rent, whatever. And they're getting paid fairly well from these oil jobs, so they have just a ton of money. So what are you going to do? 
you have a lot of cash to burn so all you do is like drink and fight and gamble yeah and they hire sex workers because that's a booming industry up there because what are the women supposed to do yeah. with all this now um but the more they stayed there like on native lands the more they realize that there's actually no repercussions to anything they do so they don't actually have to pay yeah they can just assault people and get away with it there's no consequences and even though they're not technically affiliated these man camps have a level of protection from these corporate overlords because they don't want to get in trouble oh my god it's just it's like mind melting just it's just like seriously no man's land the old west i'm just it's it's It's, horrifying it's horrifying it's disgusting it's just to me it just doesn't make sense why this country you know what not only this country because this happens everywhere but why there is so much protection in place for people that do these grotesque disgusting Mm -hmm. you know less they treat people like less than human and it's so infuriating that there's so much protection involved in that like in in that than there is for these you know indigenous people for people of color any like women in general like why is there not something in place to protect us and so much about money we're a capitalist society and that's what it comes down to human beings are replaceable in a commodity and it's about money and in this case like we already committed genocide we meaning white settlers Mm -hmm. already committed genocide to create this fine country of ours and shoved people into like these no man lands and yeah you now it's not our problem you forced them to be like we are the conquerors yeah and so therefore your shit is not our problem Mm -hmm. That's the mindset. And then you have the audacity to say, this is our country. You're not, you know, you know, go. Oh, my God. Yes. So I'm going to break down that that statistic of of 65% of rape cases not tried as of 2013. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's on native lands. So in the rest of the countries, in the rest of the country, only 38% of rapes are even reported like yeah. in a good year mm-hmm. in a in a in a very outspoken year. Yeah. So 65% of rape cases are not tried, which means that 35% are. Yeah. So if we like look at the math, if 35% of the 38 reported rape cases are tried, like holistically, only 13% of rape cases go to court. Only 13% of rape cases go to court. So, I'm going to say it one time. One more time. Only 13% of rape cases go to court. That is incredibly low. Yeah. Like, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to do a quick math. What is 24 hours in a day, right? Yeah. 13% of 24... That is not right. How do I do this? I'm bad at math. Hold on. <laughs> math is difficult. <laughs> 13% of 24 hours is 3.12 hours. Mm-hmm. That's like maybe you could go see a movie in that time. Yeah. Like, and the whole, the rest of your hours of the day are filled with a bunch of other stuff. You get so much stuff done, you get no, no stuff done. Now, imagine those hours are rape cases. Mm-hmm. Only the one that fit in the span of that movie get to get even acknowledged. How? So, I'm sorry. When people are saying, oh, she's going to ruin his reputation. She's lying to get back at him. Yada, yada, yada. I don't give me that fucking bullshit. No. Because. Like, statistically, no. And it's still can it's still such an issue like even with this every you know the the move like the me too movement and everybody coming like it it's a little bit easier to but it's such an uncomfortable thing that like just coming forward and saying something it takes so much bravery so much strength yeah. that it is 
more it's so much more of an insult and and just disgraceful that after doing the most you know courageous thing you could ever do being vulnerable that way and then you're met with the people that are supposed to lead our country and lead you know our law enforcement and be treated as if this is your fault like Mm -hmm. that's that is it's such a such a problem it's so and it's not only it's not only about you know you know not paying attention to those things and not giving people space to talk about their you know their attacks and their grief and what they're going through and the pain that they're going through but to then say that actually only let me pick and choose which cases or what rape cases mm-hmm. are are the ones that we're actually going to pursue and 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 hold mm-hmm. the people that are responsible to for this like holding them responsible it's yeah. so infuriating. I'm sweating right is, now. Oh, my God. This is what we're talking about. Ugh. The women that survive, mm-hmm. that can physically come forward. Savannah is a woman that could not yeah. come forward because her life was taken. And thousands of Native girls are missing and murdered. Mm-hmm. And nobody does anything, anything about it. Yeah. Because their hands are tied. They can. It's not their jurisdiction. So it just becomes this, like, it's nobody's jurisdiction. And nobody does anything. So when Savannah died, Uh it caught the attention of lawmakers in heavily Native states. And in Canada, Justin Trudeau actually started to make strides to close the law enforcement gap for Canada's first peoples. Yeah. So when Savannah died the community leaders got together and were like, this is such a problem because if Savannah, if Savannah's case was solved, that means we are able to solve other cases. And we haven't been able to because the, you know, um, law enforcement on the reservation don't have access to FBI databases or police databases. So anybody that they're looking for with priors or anything they have to they they can't do anything that is so so infuriating that it's literally just giving people the access that they need because so like what are you gaining by having two separate law enforcement um entities for for these people like there's no reason for that well it's it's couched as protection and you know well clearly it's not fucking protecting anybody no it's not but it's couched that way so that the reservations and the tribes can still enact justice in the way that they wanted to but it's like okay it's not fucking working and people have been asking for it to change and nobody's listening so okay listen to this so after savannah died a group of tribal leaders including dave flute the chairman of the sisseton Wapitan Oyote Nation wrote a letter to lawmakers saying these are actual actions we can take to close this gap and to protect our people. And the leaders, the group of leaders plea moved North Dakota Senator Heidi Heitkamp to create Savannah's Law, which would demand that FBI databases be accurately updated with correct details, booking information, and statistics about crimes committed on tribal lands, and give tribal authorities access to FBI databases to help find perps. Great, right? Important to note that Heidi Heitkamp is a white woman. Okay. And a lot of these leaders are white people. uh, And these are not her original ideas. They come from tribal elders. So... Mm. But great, progress moving. Yeah. And then Heidi Heitkamp was defeated in her re-election. Ugh. So in 2018, before she got out of office, she's like doubled down, got a bunch of people on board. The law made it and passed in Congress, uh. except for one vote. <gasps> Who was it? I'm going to find Republican, them. Republican, surprise, surprise, Republican. Yeah. Republican Congressman Bob Goodlatte of Virginia. Oh, you're a... I don't know. You're just as stupid as your name. Sorry. Yes. I'm like, I don't know if this is how to say it, but it's spelled Goodlatte. And hey, guess what? Fuck you. Yeah. But what... So not that he has the right to say anything, but like, what was his reasoning? 
He was afraid that it would put too much of a burden on police oh. workers. Oh, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> because now they have to do a little more paperwork. Oh, all right. Sorry. Right, 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 right. So uh, we're going to get in the way of their lying around time. I feel like I say that all the time because it's like my know, favorite thing to say. Because There's a lot of people like, having a lot of yeah, lying around Yeah, they're just time. like lying around and, yes. you know, people are dying. People are stealing people's babies out of their wombs. And, oh, oh God, God forbid, we we give just a little bit and we... No. we too much to ask. Too much to it's ask. It's too much to ask for you to be human? Yep. They're all lizard people. Oh, my God. Um, so after Heidi Heitkamp was left left uh, Congress, Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska reintroduced the bill in January and expanded the bill to cover Native women in urban areas as well, not just on reservations yeah. like Savannah, because Savannah lived in Fargo, yeah. um, which is great. It was expansive expanded um there's also legislature on the state level being introduced including the not invisible act introduced by height camp um so i'm going to take this second to talk about um abigail echo hawk who is the director of urban indian health institute based in seattle and a tribal citizen of the pawnee nation and she says despite the narrative so despite the progress and these, uh, you know, issues being raised, despite the narrative, it's still being shaped by those on the outside. So it's still being shaped and pushed forward and changed and negotiated by non-Native people. Echo Hawk gives credit to Congresswoman Deb Holland, Halland, I'm not sure how to say this name, of New Mexico, one of the first Native American women elected to Congress for advocating for nuanced legislation more reflective of Indian country. Because you don't know the problems unless you're in that community. So this is exactly what we need. But that's Um, what we expect of our leadership is that they are able to be, you know, they're they're able to see what's happening in in these communities without mm -hmm. it. Like, just because it doesn't directly affect you doesn't mean that it's not a problem. Like, we want you to be that way. Like, I don't understand. Yes. This problem affects us all because these people are the people whose land this country is. Mm-hmm. You like, they stole are it this from country. them. We, are, we all live on stolen land and we are just dr- still driving these people into the dirt. Yeah. So the thing that I, why I can't think we about just, like, a lot, reach out a hand. Yeah, just to like, even if that, if even if you don't believe that, because I, I guarantee you. Now I'm from New York, so I mm-hmm. was taught a very, very different story in school about mm. how we are here and how you know this land became America. Like we are all taught very different stories depending on where we're from. And mm-hmm. like but even if you don't believe that and you don't believe that this land was stolen that you feel like you whatever the case is, that does not relieve you from your duty to be a human being and look at right. other people's lives and and what they're going through and ways that you can help especially if you are supposed to be a leader in this country in congress like why mm-hmm. is that not something that somebody else sitting next to you is saying it's literally and and this is so infuriating because it was literally one person how often does this happen that a bill or legislation goes to Congress or the Senate or whatever. I don't really know how it works, but, and like just everybody agrees except for one fucking person. That's insanity. So here's a thing that we can do is call your fucking representatives and tell them to pass Savannah's law and tell them to pass the not invisible act. There you go. That's what you can do. And I will. Great. We'll post. Is there? A, did you? Do you have like a number and stuff that we can post? Yes, okay. I do. We'll post it well, on for our, California. Yes. Oh, yeah. We'll post it on our Instagram um, for anybody that wants to we, do that. Mm-hmm. So, I'm glad to know that after Savannah's death, action was starting to be taken, even though it's been disrupted and is still in limbo. Savannah's act is still in limbo. Um, 
But despite that, the numbers are still staggering and it's not really changed anything. So even though, you know, Savannah's, Savannah got justice and her case is solved, there's thousands, tens and thousands of cases that aren't solved. Yeah. So. And could be solved by just and could our, be. you know, our leadership just, just relinquishing a little bit of help mm-hmm. and you know and I know it I know it's about power I know it's that power struggle and like you know if I give up this then I have to give and it's just like no it shouldn't be like that it should be mm-hmm. we want these people who not only went through such a horrific thing but their families to have some closure and to yeah. you know to not use you know your ego and, and the power that you want you know that you're hoarding to be the reason mm-hmm. that these people don't find peace. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. So with all that, I'm going to bring it back and let you know that on a positive note, the baby is healthy and happy. She's going to be three years old in August. Um, Do you know her name? And her name, oh. yeah, her name is... Hazley Joe, which Savannah and Ashton picked out before she was born. Oh, oh God. So her mom got to name her. That's Talking so about cool. the very strong names mm-hmm. in their very beautiful culture. Wow. So a GoFundMe was actually set up a few years ago to help take care of Hazley Joe. And I know right now is a very turbulent time. Um, mm-hmm. But the GoFundMe is still active. So we will link that as well if you want to help. Uh, help a little a sweet baby girl and her young dad live in this crazy world right now so savannah i'm so sorry i'm so sorry savannah i know every time i research any of these cases and i actually more often when i'm like you know going through my pictures so that we can make our post on instagram i'm like you know making captions and stuff for the post and i'm always like i'm so sorry sweetie like i'm so Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm so sorry this happened should, to you. I should never have to know. Yeah. Names, like, I, I wish I didn't know you. I wish that you were. I wish it wasn't like You know, still yeah. here and, and living the beautiful life that you deserve. And mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, I'm so sorry that there's people that are so selfish and, you know, that just don't have even you know, uh, even the little an bit, ounce. an ounce of love in their heart that they, they would mm-hmm. take something so sweet from you. And it's just, it's so terrible. Yeah. So this episode is dedicated to Norberta, Joe, Ashton, and Hazley Joe, who all live uh, and continue Savannah's legacy. This episode of DNA, a true crime podcast was written and edited by me, Devin Balsamo-Gillis. Music by Holly Amber Church. Pictures and sources can be found on our Instagram at DNA underscore podcast. Uh, Next week, Asia will be leading the charge and telling us a story. So tune in and stay home, everyone. Yeah. Wash your hands. Be healthy. Stay calm. It's all going to be okay. Reach out to people you love. Check in. Yeah. You can still social distance yourself and still stay in contact. We live in the great age of technology where you can still stay connected and, and um, you know, talk it through and, and be supportive to your family yeah. and friends. So, Yeah. We appreciate you listening. We're sending you love and strength. And see, see you, you next, next time. time. Ha, <laughs> ha,